I hope you guys are ready for the biggest Shein haul ever because I did a lot of damage last week and it finally came in, so let's get started. I'm obsessed with crop sweaters. If you're a woman of a certain age, let's say under 30, you are probably intimately familiar with Shein hauls on TikTok. Searching that hashtag, Shein haul, or any of its holiday variants will spit out a predictable genre. You would probably see a young woman in her bedroom unboxing lots and lots of clothes or eyelashes or what have you um, from Shein. And it's usually a video of, let me show you what I got from my latest Shein haul. And they're holding up whatever the latest item is and just telling the viewer how inexpensive it is. That's Jordan Holman, who covers the retail industry for The New York Times. And it's not an exaggeration to say that Shein, the Chinese fast fashion giant, has turned retail on its head especially for a demographic that wants things cheap and wants them now. Well, you could get like eyelashes, you know, the fake eyelashes, a whole bundle of them for like $5, probably even cheaper. Uh, you could get a t-shirt for maybe $5, bikini for $10, things along those lines, where it's like eye-popping prices. If I told you what I paid for everything in this box, you wouldn't even believe it. Shein is having an insane home sale right now with items starting at literally six cents. These videos are not an accident, not a byproduct of random consumer enthusiasm. They're a core part of Shein's strategy to reach shoppers and say, buy this thing right now. You want new outfits to go on your vacation or you want new outfits to show up in your, you know, TikTok uh, videos and Instagrams. And Shein has become that place, that go-to place that people think of to purchase those type of items. But now, in this season of hyped-up consumerism, Shein has loftier goals than cute outfits or decorations for your holiday party. The company has reportedly filed, confidentially, for an initial public offering— and that means a whole new world of scrutiny. Consumers now are getting to understand what Shein stands for beyond this is the price, this is the low price I can get at the company. And part of that is the process of a company maturing, the process of uh, the road to an IPO. There's different expectations that come with it. But I would say that's the biggest change we've seen and heard from Shein in 2023. Today on the show, great expectations and equal risks as Sheehan gets ready to go public. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. What sets Sheehan apart from traditional retailers is how much it relies on technology. The company's roots trace back to a small online shop that was started in China in 2008. But Xi'an, as we know it today, was officially founded in 2012. You know, when we step back to 2012, it's like, yes, we shopped on the internet, kind of. We weren't on our phones like we are now. It wasn't like kind of the first place you go to. And so the idea was that Xi'an could be very fast and really respond to what you were looking for instead of you go in the store and this is what the store is offering you. What if it was the other way around? I'm looking for a purple dress. Shein, using technology, can see that I'm looking for it. And then that's what's presented. I think that's the reason I'm talking to you on a show that is technology focused, because in so many ways, it is a tech company. C can you tell me a little bit about 
how it does what it does, because that seems to be the thing that sets Shein apart from its competitors. Yeah, it's, it's very tuned in to what shoppers want and what they're looking for. I cover retailers from the very, very biggest ones to mom and pop. And you hear all retailers saying, we're in the business of giving people what they want. But the difference is the technology, the capability that can do that, what feels like automatically and seamlessly. So the way that, you know, quote unquote, normal retailers work is that they make a whole bunch of one item. So like maybe you're ordering 10,000 of a certain dress. And then that's going to be the dress for the season. The way Shein does it is that they make apparel in small batches. So 200 of one item. But they know that 200 customers will probably want that exact item and the sell-through rate will be so high. And if they see that that's selling, yes, they can put more clothes in production, but you just don't have those items languishing around, which is a really expensive thing for any retailer. So that's how they do what they do. Um, AI is a big part of their strategy, just like you hear any retailer, but it's really responding and seeing what people are searching. And then the next day, you know, going back to this purple dress example, if I'm searching a purple dress, seeing what they have the next day, that's why I'm going to be pushed. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, I think in this world, at least young shoppers are kind of used to that, being served up exactly what we're looking for to the point that it's like, did I actually type that out or was it in my head? You know, that's kind of accepted. But I would say that they were really ahead of the curve and a lot of other retailers are having to catch up with them to be able to compete at that level. The company first started in China, as you said. How did it first start to take over the U.S. market and, and how much market share does it have now? So it's so funny. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago and she said that she shopped Shein in 2014. And I made a joke like, oh, you must mean Forever 21. Like who even knew about Shein back then? But I think it really does speak to the audience. Like it took off with college students, with people who wanted things at low prices, but was also looking for fashion that was accessible, all of those things. So definitely word of mouth. Um, you had the competitors were Pretty Little Thing and Fashion Nova, that kind of fast fashion that was online only. Then I would say the pandemic, like everything, people were really shopping a lot during the pandemic. And Shein, I felt like, reach other circles. It wasn't just the 20-somethings. It was like moms being like, oh, this is a, an expensive thing. And also, I think our brains went through this moment of like, where did I used to shop pre-pandemic? And hmm. then it was time to like go outside our homes and she and was just in that conversation. So there's this stat from Piper Sandler. They do a survey twice a year showing the most popular brands that teens like. And it's interesting watching over the years how Shein has ticked up. Like a few years ago, they weren't on that list, but they've ticked up and they're up there with Nike. So when you think about kind of the biggest wow. brands that are so good at marketing, Shein speaks among them. They're still a private company and very closely held. So it's difficult to gauge how big of a market share they have. But I like to think about those stats that show when people just say, this is my favorite brand, that gives you a real sense. They are inching toward being a public company. And there have been rumors that Shein was possibly heading toward an IPO for a while. But reading your reporting, it is happening. 
Why now? Great question. So this, to step back on the IPO market, 2023 has not been a good year for IPOs. After like the flurry of companies going public over the past few years, this has been a really quiet one. Um, and investors have been expecting Xi'an to go public um, and start trading. And it's hard to say exactly, you know, the company's thinking on this. They haven't commented on um, the reporting about them filing an IPO. But if you look at some of the things that they have done this year, they've become this company that has been historically tight-lipped, has started to be more vocal on sustainability pledges, things that it gets dinged about. Mm -hmm. They've been more vocal on this program that they have for independent designers after facing years of criticism of copying designers. Um, And they've just been more public about the influencers they work with, trying to show supply chain. And all of those things are things they need to answer to, ideally from investors, if they do start trading publicly here in the U.S., Is there any way to know how much money this company is worth? There have been presentations prepared that, you know, the Financial Times has been really on top of in terms of reporting. At one point, uh, the company was said to be worth $100 billion. That was earlier this year, but most recently that number sits at $66 billion. I think helpful context for listeners, like, I have been reporting on Macy's for years and years and years. Last year, Macy's brought in $25 billion in revenue. So we're talking about a lot of money. We're talking about a lot of money. <laughs> you sort of nodded to this a bit, but but Sheehan has gone through a lot of controversies. And, you know, when you are going to go public and file for an IPO, all those things come up. Investors want to know about them. Reporters like you and me want to know about them. So I wonder if we could talk through some of the controversies. I guess really the biggest one is the concern that Chan might be using forced labor. Yes. And this is a huge one, obviously, because this is a concern about human rights abuses. So to step back, um, the U.S. currently has a ban on cotton that comes from this specific reason in China, where the U.S. says there is forced labor being used against the Uyghur people. So in Xinjiang, right? Yes, correct. Um, and Uyghurs, the claim is that they are being persecuted and being forced into labor. And so the U.S., the rule is, you know, no companies can be using cotton from that region. There is a report from Bloomberg that came out around this time last year that tested uh, some of the cotton used in Xi'an products that points to that that cotton actually comes from that region of China, hmm. which would be a violation of the law. Xi'an has said that it does not use cotton from that region, says that it is compliant with the law um, and does not use forced labor. But that reporting is the basis of so much criticism that is facing from lawmakers right now. And it raises a lot of questions as it continues to do business here in the U.S. There are also questions, and I wonder if you could explain this as someone who's an expert in retail, that Sheehan has maybe skirted paying some customs duties. Why is that a thing for other retailers? Yeah, so that's the de minimis trade rule. Um, And 
if you allow me to get a little wonky on this, I've been doing a lot of reporting on this. <laughs> so basically, um, in the U.S., if you are importing goods under $800, you do not have to pay fees to customs. And this is like a century-old rule. Basically, it's not worth customs time to look at that. But if you are a traditional retailer, you're often paying that because you're bringing in your goods from overseas in bulk. And that's going to cost more than $800. And so for Xi'an's business model, this is their business model. And then I'll tell you what critics say about their business model is they ship directly to customers. And what we've been talking about is that they sell items at very low prices. So often a lot of those packages are going to be under $800. Thus, they are not required to pay this fee. Hmm. Critics say that is not fair. That was not the intention of this rule. The intention, you know, their point to the intention is like if your grandmother went to France and is sending you something over, it shouldn't be for large corporation basing, you know, their whole business model on it. We have talked a lot about fast fashion and, and how quickly Shein delivers its products. One of the biggest criticisms of fast fashion is how harmful it is to the environment, how unsustainable it is as a practice. What does the evidence show? That, yes, a lot of clothes go into landfills and that is harming the environment. Fast fashion in particular has borne a lot of the brunt of the criticism for this because the argument is, you know, people don't care as much about these clothes. You pay $20 for a dress. Why keep it? I'll get a new one. That goes in the trash. Shein is seen as this ultra fast fashion. Even cheaper prices produce even more quickly. And so a lot of people are calling on them to do something different. So they, just like uh, the fast fashion retailers before them, are also having to answer to this to lay out a sustainability plan Xi'an, through its, um, one of its designer programs, has said it's starting to offer um, more sustainable products or materials, encouraging their designers to use them. But for critics, it really feels like a drop in the bucket. For all the clothes that are produced, you know, that might not be the best solution or, or the most far-reaching solution. When we come back, it's one thing to be controversial as a private company, it's entirely different when investors have a stake in what you do. I'm really interested in how Sheehan has wrestled with all of these different criticisms, especially as they move toward filing to become a public company when there's just going to be so much more scrutiny. I, I am thinking back to a trip that they brought a bunch of influencers on, and it did not go so well. Yes, the trip seen around social media. <laughs> I remember watching this day after day in June. Get ready with me to go on a brand trip with Shein. Okay, so we are headed to one of the main supply manufacturers for Shein, so I'm really excited to check them out. 
So basically the trip was um, some of the influencers that they work with, as well as some of the des designers, were given the opportunity to go to China and see some of the factories that uh, Xi'an produces the clothes. You know, the, uh, I think one of the centers that they went to is called the Innovation Center. So purportedly the trip was to show the ways that technology is used to power this company. But influencers, being influencers, they, they were encouraged to record, send photos. And this is when, you know, uh, influence reality uh, hit up against all of these criticisms that she faces. Because going back to one of the criticisms they faced is not only the use of forced labor, but not great business practices in terms of giving people time off, giving people breaks. And warehouses have always, this is beyond Xi'an, has always kind of faced that criticism of how are you treating the workers? Yeah. So you now have, for people watching at home, you now have these influencers saying, oh, I, all, I asked all these questions. I feel very secure that, you know, none of these uh, reports from journalists are true. I expected this facility to be so filled with people just slaving away. And honestly, everybody was just working like normal, like chill, sitting down. They weren't even sweating. The girl was and I actually talked to one of the influencers on the trip, and it was really hard uh, for her to understand, you know, like why people couldn't see their perspective. You know, they're excited to work with this company. This company gave them great opportunities to expand their business. And, and you know, why did it fall on them? to, to kind of uncover this truth. And so Xi'an, to their part, said the point of the trip was not to kind of work around journalists, to not answer these questions, but to give the influencers and designers they work with a chance to see their business operations. But I think it uh, really just showed kind of the growing pains of a company that historically is tight-lipped becoming more vocal for the world to see. Chinese companies have been under tremendous scrutiny in the U.S. I'm thinking to, back to the TikTok hearings. I wonder how Xi'an's ties to China will figure into a potential IPO. When TikTok was um, on Capitol Hill earlier this year, Xi'an was definitely in the conversation. It was almost like, well, okay, TikTok, and what about Xi'an? What are they doing? There's a lot of questions around their business model. There's a lot of questions about how much data um, consumers are giving to Xi'an, and then what kind of access does the, does the Chinese government have to that? Hmm. Xi'an, while founded in China, their headquarters are actually currently in Singapore. So that's one thing that they often call out. When I talk to analysts, they kind of call that out as, this is something to watch, just seeing how Xi'an being a Chinese-founded company, like how much that will impact perception. How big are these issues in terms of hurdles to an IPO? Could they stop things, slow them down, or are they little bumps in the road? It's a great question because every road to an IPO is different and it's based off a, a lot of different factors. You know, if the market was great, maybe these concerns would be tampered a bit. But because any company looking to go public right now is up against like not a great financial market, that's going to be a struggle. Also, though, for Xi'an, a lot of companies who are looking to file IPO don't have lawmakers saying, I don't think this company should, should be allowed to trade publicly in the U.S. Yeah. And that is a real unique struggle for a company like that. I think the other element is like 
there's what investors are talking about, and then there's what consumers are talking about. So when you're kind of looking at all of the stakeholders, sometimes those conversations aren't actually coming together. <laughs> They're very siloed at times. So as you asked me that question, I'm kind of thinking about like, it's almost like, to who? You know, are these things seen as a big hurdle to investors, to consumers, to lawmakers? Everyone has a slightly different answer. You know, despite all of this criticism and the tricky IPO environment right now, Sheehan has continued to rise in popularity, especially, as you noted, with young shoppers. I wonder what that tells you both about the future of Sheehan, but also the future of retail, because other companies have got to be watching this very closely. Absolutely. I think about this as like, Shein is almost becoming the competitor to other retailers that Amazon is and was in the way that Shein has introduced this new business model that is just so hard to compete with. Low prices, moving merchandise so quickly, using technology, all these things that the retail industry knows it needs to do to capture the next generation, Shein's already doing. And so that creates this very interesting dynamic. Like anybody can watch how popular Shein is on TikTok, like we were talking about earlier, and know that, okay, there's something that they've done great. How do we capture that? But also how do we keep working within the bonds or the confines of our investors, how much capital that they have, all of those other things that Shein might benefit from that other retailers competing right now just don't have. I think this also brings back the trade conversation, um, why there's a lot of criticism saying that American retailers just pay so much in fees that it kind of handcuffs them to be able to compete at that level. Can an American retailer ever compete with Shein? I think it really depends on who you ask with that one. Um, immediately, my mind thinks about that. All the conversations I've had with uh, other retailers or people in policy, and the answer that they would probably say is no. Rules need to change for the long term for American retailers to compete. At the same time that Shein has gone gangbusters, there has been this push, especially in the fashion industry, around sustainability, around slower fashion, around more transparent supply chains. If Shein pulls off a huge IPO, does that mean that all of this talk of sustainability was just lip service? I think what people say are their values sometimes don't align with what the cost of things are. Time and time again, we see surveys saying XYZ generation cares the most about sustainability or the planet or whatnot. And I do believe that's true. But when it comes to seeing how much that will cost you, you know, we live in a society, we live in an economy where cheaper usually drives our purchasing decisions. And it's really hard to like stand by the values of I care about the environment in the long run, when you might be only able to afford X today. But it's such a tricky question. It's such a tricky question because you see this all the time that, you know, Gen Z cares the most about sustainability, but also Gen Z loves Shein, just like millennials love Forever 21. So I, I think that's the constant 
tension in consumerism. Jordan Holman, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Jordan Holman covers the retail industry and consumerism for The New York Times. That is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. And a Slate Plus membership makes a great holiday gift. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.